testimony, just raise your hand. Something good. We're not going to take it. We just want we, you have a testimony. We just want to see. You got something good happening. Look around. Look at that. Good stuff. Now, if you want to share it, we'd love to hear it after service. There's a table right there, and we will be. We want to take them down and remember the testimony. So, um, there, there. I mean, you guys know this. We talk about this, but um, when Israel would disobey and when they would walk away from the Lord, it was always because they forgot something about God. Always. It was never because they just decided to be sinners. It was never just because they decided to fall into idolatry. It always started with they did not remember the Lord. They did not remember his testimony. It even says that their actual rebellion was that they forgot and did not remember that he parted the sea for them and that he fed them from the heavens. And it's, it's that forgetting the Lord and putting him at the front of our mind that leads us off the path. And so what testimony does and it comes in the New Testament, and it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we remember what the Lord's done, and we talk about it, and we tell people about it, what we're doing is we're, remember what I said about Jesus uh, when he taught, sorry, these are going to bother me, but I need them in a minute. <clears throat> when he taught, and they, they were amazed because he had authority. Remember how we're drawing this understanding that it wasn't just because he was a great teacher, although he was, and it wasn't because he helped them understand two plus two is four. It was because when he spoke, the atmosphere shifted. Amen. And that's what testimony does. When we speak and we tell what God is doing, not only are we remembering that he's good, and not only are we telling people that two plus two is four with God, we're actually shifting the atmosphere and the mindsets of people. It's setting up the stage for people to think on a different level. And, it, and it, it's actually an invitation for God to do it again. And the actual word testimony, literally in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it means to do again or to repeat. So when we repeat our testimony, we're, we're creating an atmosphere for God to repeat and to do it again. So don't forget what God's doing in your life. I know it's really, we almost have an attitude of when something good happens, it's more relief than joy. Whew, made it through that one, right? By the skin of my teeth, we made it. And that's not a bad feeling. Like, oh, God, thank you. We made it. But let's take it a little further and not just be relieved. Let's be moved into testimony, joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so send your testimonies. Tell people of your testimonies. It is your voice. When you tell people what God's done for you, you're inviting people in to meet your relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? You are inviting them in where they can see and understand your intimate relationship with your Father. And they get to taste and see what God's doing for you. And it's, it's an invitation. So testimony is a big deal. So how many have some testimonies going on? Let me see your hands again. Good stuff. We're declaring by raising our hands. Father, we thank you because you're good. Let's just stop and thank him now. Lord, we thank you because you're good and you're faithful. And we're not just relieved that we made it through. We thank you because we're overcomers. We are more than conquerors through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors, God. We're not just skating by, making it through. We are conquerors, and you are for us, not against us. Won't you say that God is for me? He's not against me. <laughs> we are thankful for that, God. <laughs> That's good. Have you ever had a really rough day and, and you practiced by just talking about what the Lord's doing, how, how the atmosphere shifts? Or how many have been having a really good day and you started talking about bad things and how the atmosphere shifts? 
Our words matter. Our words matter. They carry life or death on them. Amen? Yeah. If you want to open your Bible to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians, Ezekiel. Last time I was saying Exodus, and now I'm to Ephesians. It's one of those E's, right? Ezekiel 47. We're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're tying the three together today. So, <clears throat> thank you, Kyle. Let's see if this thing will work. All right, let's test it out. I'm just going to go forward. And, no, do you mind doing that for me? He's like, sure, I guess not. You're asking me in front of everyone. I can't really say no. No, I'm just like, you can. Um, I'll just, I'll point at you, Kyle. You. <clears throat> so in Ezekiel 47, um, God is telling, uh, he's given a vision, and he's showing Ezekiel what it really looks like in the, in the actual temple of God, the holy place. And if you'll read all the way through it, we're not going to start through the first part, but he tells of a river that flows out from the temple, from the tabernacle, from the, under the altar of the Lord. And um, Kyle, do you mind going to the next slide? There's, there's a picture someone had drawn of this, this uh, prophecy. And you can see he's measuring out there at the top and there at the bottom. They're, fi- they're casting their nets at all kinds of fish that would be in the river. But notice that out of the temple, from the, from the altar, the water got deeper the further it got away from the temple. Now, we have this mindset in church that says, no, the temple is the deepest it gets. And when I go to work on Monday, the river's a little bit less. And when I go to work on Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, the river's less. And I need to come back Sunday so the river can be really deep in me again. But that's not at all how the Lord wants this to work. I want to say this. I love church. You should be at church every time you can. It should be a priority in our life. But church isn't the, the ultimate it is a big piece of the ultimate, but it's not the ultimate. Church is a place where you get equipped, you get encouraged, you get empowered, you're reminded of your destiny and who God says that you are. Amen. You rub shoulders with people that are, that are sharpening you and making you better and making you think differently and calling the gold out of you. That's what church is for. It's an equipping center. It's a family. Why are we coming to church to be equipped? So that we can go to what we really are here for. And that's to change culture, to transform culture. Right now in our country, we have a culture war going on. And I don't mean cultures of where you're from. I'm talking about a kingdom culture versus a worldly, secular, or satanic, evil culture. How many have heard of the stories of the pizzeria that, that they said that they wouldn't cater a, a gay wedding? Well, first problem, how many of you had pizza for your wedding when it was catered? <laughs> This is the stupidest, they call it a straw man argument. When you're in an argument with someone, you throw out something that's really easy to prove to make your point seem really important. Like, see, they won't even cater, a pizza place won't even cater a wedding. Yeah, when in the history of the world (laughs) has pizza been on the menu? Um, Maybe somewhere, I don't know. But, so first of all, it's ridiculous. Um, And so we're just, these things are not, it's not just a one thing. Let me tell you real quick on that. There's a lady who has a radio station, a, a radio uh, show called Dana Lash. And in her radio show, they decided to, to do a GoFundMe page to help out these people because they were being boycotted. They were being threatened that their business was going to be burned down in America. This isn't somewhere else. This is right in the heartland of America, in a small little town in the heartland of America. People are boy, want to boycott them. They want to put them out of business. They want to kill them. They want to, one of the teachers in the town posted on Facebook, who's with me? We're going to go burn down the pizzeria. 
I mean, hello, Facebook, it doesn't go away, people. Your digital footprint does not disappear. And so this is not just one place. It's hap- it happens in Seattle. It's happening all over the country, these little wars that are taking place that we don't hear a whole lot about because Christians are just, are, they're, they're clinging to their God and their religion and their Bibles and their guns. And they need to be forgotten and they haven't evolved and they don't think on a higher plane like the rest of the world. And so when Christians are abused, they're seen, they're seen as the oppressor. The world looks at Christians as the oppressor. So what happens when the oppressor gets oppressed? The world rejoices. So there, how many churches are being closed? Now, this is, this is interesting. My brother-in-law were having this, this discussion. They're not going after the churches to close the churches. They're not going after the ministries to close the ministries. They're going after the small little mom and pop pizzerias and shutting them up, saying you can't speak of your Christian values. They're going in the schools and telling little kids that they can't bring their Bible and read it in reading front, free reading time in school. They're not coming here to church and protesting our service today. They're not protesting that we have a podcast or that ministries have their TV. You can watch it on TV. You have bigger churches. And you can watch the whole service. They're not protesting that right now. Why? Because it's a culture war. It's not a religious war. What does that mean? They want to shut you up in your pizza shop. They want to shut us up in our t-shirt factory. They want to shut us up online when we share our opinions. They want to make us silent in the culture because this is a culture war. It's not a battle of whether or not we can come here and preach the gospel. It's It's a battle of whether or not the gospel can affect your life and you can live it out outside of a church. The world is fine with Christians doing church on Sunday. They're fine with it. But when we begin to influence culture... They get scared and they want to shut us down. They want to shut us up. And this fires me up because I love the thought of transforming culture. It's what we're called to do. In the next few weeks, we're going to get into some messages. Um, one of the people that teaches on this a lot is a, a man named Lance Wall now on the seven mountains or the seven spheres of society. They are they're basically these, these powers and these influences and, the, and the, they're massive and they control and they influence culture. And that's what you and I are here to do. And so when, when we read in Ezekiel 47 and he speaks of a river that gets deeper the further he measures out from the altar, he's giving us a picture of what New Testament believers are supposed to look like. The further you get away from a Sunday service, the deeper your prophetic flow should be. The further we get away from our Sunday service, the deeper our gift of intercession should be. The further we get away from the Sunday service, the deeper our love for our neighbor should be. It's really easy when we come to a church and we feel like we all kind of think somewhat alike. In some ways, we have some points that are the same. And it's, it's comfortable. But what's really important is that when we go into a world where they believe things that are completely off to what we believe, that we love them the same. So as this river gets away from the temple, it's supposed to get deeper. It's supposed to shift the culture. This is not about you becoming more religious. This is about us becoming infectious. We're supposed to be infectious. What did they say of the disciples, besides that they were ignorant and unlearned? What did they say after that? They said they'd been with Jesus... And then the testimony of the, of the apostles and the disciples 
would come before them. And they said, these who have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. They had free press. That was like a tweet sent out before they came. It was like pre, pre-launch uh, marketing that they sent out. And people would say, the, those guys, those ignorant men, they're not wise. They're not Plato or Socrates or these wise thinkers of our time. These are different people. They're stupid fishermen. And they've turned the world upside down. They have completely changed the culture. You want to talk about culture shock. This is going from a Judeo mindset to a Christian mindset that's okay with Jews becoming Christians. And then all of a sudden, Jesus tells Peter, don't call unclean what I call clean. The Gentiles will become believers as well. Talk about culture uh, uh, shift. Jesus goes to a woman at the well, a Samaritan, who was like the lowest class of society, and he asks her to give him a drink. He spends time with this woman. And she's like, I'm not worthy. Don't talk to me. Jesus was constantly attacking and confronting the cultures of the time. Remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And she says, don't. And he's like, hey, I haven't come for you yet. Now's not the time for you. Stay away. She's begging him. Please say, please heal my daughter. Please. He's like, hey, wait. And what does she say to him? Don't the dogs even get crumbs from the master's table? And culture shock. Jesus said to this woman. I have not seen this great faith, not even in Israel. Boom, culture shock. Culture matters to God. Culture matters to Jesus. The, the mindset, and when I say culture, I mean the mindset and the principalities that govern an area. It matters. You can go to different areas of the country and there's a culture, there's a feel. I like that we live in the South and there's pretty friendly people. Pretty much everywhere you go, people are friendly, Right? Am I, what? Well, it used to be true. <laughs> no, it's still true. The, the South, we're, we, we love our neighbor. We care about each other. If someone's on the side of the road, we stop to help them. In general, that's the way we've been. Let's stay that way. I, would, I just want to blame it on all the Californians moving here if it's not, if it's not that way anymore. <laughs> but there's a culture. There's a feel. There's a mindset. We don't have a rule that says in the South you're supposed to be nice. We have a culture. When we have culture, you don't need a list of rules to tell people how to act. The culture is, is from the inside out of people. And because we are this on the inside and our identity is this, it affects the way that we do life. How many want to infect culture? Want to shift culture? All right, you can go to the next one, babe. Click. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fruit. He says that there will be fruit on the trees. And he says the fruit will be for food. Everyone say the fruit is for food. And we talked about the fruit is the natural produce of our life. The fruit is your personality. It's the way people know you. Your fruit is when there's a problem and you fix it. People know, man, that, that guy's a problem solver. They know that's the fruit of your life. And what this is saying, and what I believe it's saying, is that in a New Testament culture, in a kingdom culture, where Holy Spirit is a river inside of us, that everywhere the river goes, it produces fruit in our lives. And we're fruitful people. And the fruit isn't for me to consume and just become fat and enjoy the gifts and the fruit God's blessed me with. The fruit that God gives us is for us to give away for people for food. Because when they partake of the, of the produce and the offspring of our relationship with God, 
It comes from the secret place. How many people know that any good that we have comes from God? So when we're in the secret place and our relationship with God cultivates a fruitful lifestyle, when other people can partake of excellence from our life, when other people can partake of mercy, they're tasting fruit from a kingdom that they don't know of. And when they taste, they see that the Lord is good. So the fruit of your life, the things that you pr- produce. I got to um, have this discussion with my boys yesterday on the way home from soccer. And um, they were talking about, well, is it more important? I don't know how we got into it. But is it more important to be in, you know, a minister in church? And, or is it, is it okay to be a soccer player and be a professional soccer player? Or is it okay to be a professional rock star? I'm like, yeah, kids, it's okay. Because the fruit of your life, people will partake of it. We used to have this mindset that the only value we had for, for callings were if they were, secular, were, were sacred callings. If you were a pastor, if you were an evangelist, if you were a worship leader, if you were a teacher, and you did these things in the church, then you had a higher value in society than everyone else. That's not true at all. Every one of you have equal value in the kingdom. That was the culture that Jesus brought. He came and he says, there used to be a system that said these people get stuff and these people don't. And Jesus came in and says, forget this system. I'm bringing a new system where everyone, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female. Everyone in this kingdom has equal access to the Father. So you're, what you do in life, you need to be the best you can be at what you do. If you enter data at your work, my prayer for you is that you become the best data entry clerk they have. They know that they can come to you and you can knock a stack out of data that needs to be entered. I know it, you know, it sounds, Kyle does this a lot at his work. It's a, it's a pile of things you got to enter in. But when you become the best at it, they are partaking of the excellence of the kingdom. When you don't cause problems at work and you bring blessing and, and you bring a better attitude in the culture of the kingdom with you, they get to taste of your fruit. You don't have to preach them a message and say, you need to repent and turn. All you have to do is just taste of the fruit of my life. You guys getting this? <clears throat> See, our excellence, our excellence is, is our fruitfulness. So we should be excellent people, Right? All right, you can go to the next one. He says, Jesus said to them, you will know them by their fruit. Everyone say, you will know them by their fruit. <laughs> In Genesis 2, when God was creating everything, he says of the trees and of the plants and of the animals that they would reproduce after their own kind. In other words, orange trees will have oranges. Apple trees will have apples. Sharks will give birth to sharks. The liger and all these things, that's man getting involved. Tell me like the liger. Anyone seen a liger before? The lion and tiger come together. <laughs> it's a liger. Or a tie-on. They have a tie-on as well. If you've, a tie-on or tie, however they say it, right? The way that God said it was that we would reproduce after our own kinds. Who are you? You're a son and you're a daughter of, of the king. You, you bear the name of God himself on you. So we are to reproduce after who we are. And when we reproduce who we are in culture, people taste and see the Lord is good. Amen? Go ahead to the next one. 
Fruit is the produce of our identity. How many have had um, things in your life you were working on and it was really hard to stop this behavior or whatever? It was behavior modification. And it was like, man, I just can't stop this thing. It doesn't have to be this horrible sin. It could just be, I say this word and it just, it sounds stupid when I say it. And you try to stop it. Or you have this attitude that just pops up, right? It's, it's hard to change out here. But if we, will, if we allow our identity to be shifted, it will produce who we are inside. It's an inside-out thing. I've been having this discussion. I have you know, young boys, 10 and 7, and I've had this, honestly, I've had a fear lately that I will have to forever be their inside voice. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I will forever have to be their conscience. I will have to forever remind them, hey, son, what are you supposed to do with your plate when you're done at dinner? How many do that all day? You're, you're constantly your kid's inside voice. At some point, they're going to have to take on the identity, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be part. This is part of my problem. Is they'll never learn if I don't shut up. But at some point, they're going to have to realize, oh, I am responsible for my own stuff. I am responsible. I am not just a little boy that everything's brought to me anymore. I can get frustrated and yell at them, or I can speak to their identity. It's a different, it's hard, because it's a lot more fun to yell sometimes. <laughs> it's a lot more fun to find the, the leather belt and just pop it just so you know you still have it. <laughs> it hasn't been used in a while, and you pop it and the dust comes off of it, but they know you still have it. <sighs> That's a little more fun sometimes, right? Oh, Lord, help us. Don't let Matt and Belinda hear, hear how I'm talking about this. They'll, they'll correct me on how I correct it. Hey, last resort is spanking. I know. I haven't spanked them in a long time. Actually, since yesterday. <laughs> no, yesterday was the first time in a long time. And I just want to remind them, hey, this is still in my arsenal. It's here. But I so want them to learn who they are. <laughs> on their inside, I want them to learn. They have an inside voice. It's a conscience. I worry about my oldest because he's reckless, like his daddy used to be. I don't think he knows that there are such things as consequences. Oh, sure, I can jump off this tree. Yeah, nothing's going to happen to me. I can run out in the street and get the ball before that car gets here. You know, they don't, there's no thought. I don't think he thinks. So, Lord, help his identity. Help him to realize that he's responsible, that there are consequences. I said all that because we can try to address all these weird things out here, or we can realize we're sons and daughters. We can feed our identity and watch the fruit change. If there's fruit that's in our life that we don't like, what do we need to do? Don't address the fruit. You stupid fruit. <laughs> what are you doing? No, address the identity crisis. Everyone's so good? All right. Let's go to Ezekiel, uh, next slide, Ezekiel 47, we'll read verse 13 and 14, and we'll hit today's really quickly. So we'll skip down um, verse 13 and 14. And it says, thus says the Lord, this shall be the boundary by which you should divide the land for an inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions, and you shall divide it for an inheritance, each one equally with the other. For I swore it 
to your forefathers, and this land shall, uh, will fall to you as your inheritance. Will you do me a favor? Will you read uh, the verses right b- above that? It says, By the river on its banks, on one side and the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. And then he says, They will bear every month of the every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for for everyone say their leaves for medicine their leaves for medicine or healing why does he go from their leaves will be for medicine or for healing straight into talking about inheritance i believe that the leaves literally represent our inheritance i believe that our leaves are representative of the inheritance that we have. So the fruit we produce is for food. It's for people to partake of and taste and see that God is good. But the leaves represent the boundary lines of our inheritance. <clears throat> Let's take some examples uh, uh, right here. Go on. We'll just click through these babies one at a time. First one, first picture there. What do you, when you see that, you know what it is. That's a pine tree. Not only is the fruit... You've got too fast. Not only is the fruit of the tree... That tells it. But if you can pick up a pine needle and everyone knows it's a pine needle. And what's the next one? You have the oak, right, with the acorn. The acorn, yeah, it's the fruit of it. You know it's an oak tree. But when you see that leaf, you know it's an oak leaf. You know it's an oak tree. What's the next one on there? Um, what's that? A pecan. You know the pecan, but when you see those leaves, I know that's a pecan leaf. I just, I just pecan, however you want to say it, right? Next one, this is my favorite. Anyone know what those are? Those are aspen trees. You should, yeah, Colorado, man. What the, that, to me, when I see aspen trees, I'm taken to the mountains, man. You see the white bark and those, those shiny silvery leaves that blow in the wind. It's beautiful. You, if you haven't been to Colorado or been around aspen trees, you need to go, right? All right, and the next one, the last one on there. What are those? I know it's hard to tell. Cherry blossoms. You know when you see it. It's a cherry blossom, right? We're known. We're known by our leaves. We're known by our fruit. And the Lord wants us to be known by the inheritance that we carry. Everyone's still good. <clears throat> go ahead to the next one. The leaves represent the protection, the covering, and the inheritance. So go ahead to the next. Protection. In Genesis 15, I want to read this real quick. Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward, or your inheritance. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you, um, since you have given me no offspring, no one born of my house, um, then behold, the word of the Lord said to him, This will not be your heir, but one will come from your own body, and he will be your heir. And he took him outside, and he told him to look into the heavens and to count the stars. And if you were able to count them, He said, those are how many descendants you'll have. Then he believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. How many love that that story? He says, I'm your shield. I'm your protector. And then he says, I'm also your great reward. There's there's this connection between our, our leaves being our shield and our protection, but connected to our inheritance. We're going somewhere with this, all right? The next one is our covering. If you want to read this in your own time, in Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Everyone say, God is my covering. 
See, leaves are the covering of a tree. And God wants us to understand that part of our inheritance is protection and its covering. There's a difference between protection and covering. Protection shields us from evil that would come to harm us. But covering empowers us. Everyone say covering empowers. It's really easy for us to think we can make it alone with just God's protection. And you you can. God can protect you. But we really need the covering of God. We really need people, people and God, to be a covering for us. Amen? All right, let's go into the next one. And then in Ezekiel, he talks about the inheritance. And he he talks about the boundary lines that are there. And then in Psalm 16, verse 5 5 through 11, I want to read this real quick. Psalm 16, verse 5. It says, The Lord is my portion, the inheritance, and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What is is he saying to the Lord? Lord, you're my inheritance. You're my portion. You're you're my reward. And then he says, the lines, the boundary lines of my inheritance, the the demarcation of my inheritance has fallen in a pleasant place for me, God. You have established a pleasant inheritance for me. You have said, this is a border and this is a border. And within there, God, I'm so happy with you as my inheritance. The Lord wants us to understand this because um, as we go and we shift culture, we cannot only do it with the fruit that we produce in our life. We have to do it with the inheritance that we have. All right, I'm going to finish with this, okay? In biblical times, the inheritance was a dictated parameter of what a a child was was given. All right? We can go on a couple of slides, babe. In, In biblical times, it was a specific. He would, they would, and they were ordered by how they were born. That's too far. That's all right. Don't worry. Stay there. You're too far. You're too far, babe. He, they would have children in a specific order, and there were boundaries that were given according to when they were born and where they were. And the father would come to them, and he would anoint them, and he would bless them. He would speak over them. You will inherit land from this point to this point, and you will inherit this well that's on that land that I discovered. So it'll, and you will inherit this many of this animal. And he would declare to them what their inheritance was. The Lord does the same things for you and I, and we carry this inheritance right now. And the the inheritance is not a bailout program. The inheritance is not an entitlement program, and it's not a golden parachute. Listen to me. Everyone say inheritance is not an entitlement. See, we don't, we're not, we don't live in a culture that thinks of inheritance the way the world used to. Growing up, kings... They left an inheritance for their sons and their grandsons. And their thought before they passed on was, what can I leave them so that this name continues? Well, we've gone from a, from a production mindset, from, a, from an agricultural mindset that thinks of the future, and we've gone to a consumption mindset that thinks of what can I consume while I'm here now. So when we say the word inheritance to Christians, there's some blurred lines there that need to be solved. An inheritance isn't, Here's your, your retirement package. You can quit now. You've inherited everything that you need. That's not an inheritance in the kingdom. 
when we talk about inheritance in the kingdom, it is what God comes down and through his authority, he lays his hand upon us and he says, I give you, Stephen, authority in this area. This is your inheritance. And what he's saying to us is now I've given you authority in these boundary lines. You can govern this territory. And if you govern this territory well, because I'm a good father and you steward this territory well, I will then increase the boundaries of your territory. That's what this is. So inheritance isn't a bailout program to, to, to forgive us for all of our past. Man, we can finally be debt free because we got our inheritance. We can spend it on the things we've really been wanting. Inheritance isn't for you. Inheritance is for the next generation. Come on, listen, this is where I wanted to get to. I know I had to take a long way to get here. I'm sorry. I apologize. If you're listening to the podcast, I apologize. You should have just fast forwarded 20 minutes in. Or <clears throat> Inheritance is for the next generation. And, and I, I can speak to this because in my family, I'm a sixth generation pastor. And I know that my dad was preparing me from birth for where I am right now. I know he was. I know how he talked to me. I remember him just asking, hey, Jared, you want to go to the church with me? And I remember, I've told you this before, but we had an altar like this in my dad's church when I was young. And he would walk this and he would pray and he would pray in tongues and he would call out to God. And I was a little bitty guy and I would hold his hand and we'd switch hands and we'd walk back and forth across this. My dad, at night after he worked a lot, because at the time he wasn't a full-time pastor. He worked a full-time job as, a, as a, a vice president at a carpet company. And he would go at night and he would pray in the altars and I'd go with him. And then he'd go early to church. And he said, Jared, you want to go with me? I always wanted to go with dad. Number one, he had Twinkies and chocolate milk for breakfast. <laughs> Amen. Am I telling the truth, Kyle? Or Susie Q's. Yeah, sometimes we'd throw a little Susie Q's in there if he didn't eat them with his ice cream the night before. I don't know. So dad's little homemade thing. He had Susie Q's with ice cream. But Jared, you want to go with me? Yeah, I want to go with you. What was my dad doing? He was showing me this is what a minister does. He didn't have to make rules for me. He didn't say, Jared, you have to go to church with me. He invited me into the inheritance of my family. So what do I do with my boys? I do the same things. I talk to them about God. I talk to them about ministry. I talk to them about how you deal with people. Why? Because I know one day, whether they're in church or not, they're ministers. And they will carry on this, this ministry. And now I'm, we're at a point now in our family line where we understand that it might be a little bit more valuable to get some of our family members outside of the church. We're in that place right now. And so I'm, I hope my son becomes a professional athlete. Besides the fact that he can take care of dad, right? <laughs> I, I want him to become a professional athlete because I, want him, I know what kind of a man he'll be. He's not going to back down off of his principles. A couple of weeks ago, my brother-in-law got to be at a breakfast with Tim Brown. Remember the wide receiver from the Raiders, Notre Dame and the Raiders. He's a Holy Spirit-filled man of God. And, and Kyle, my brother-in-law, went up to him and he said, I need to ask you this. He goes, I know you played football on Sundays, all from the time you were in school all the way up. I know you were busy with a professional life. You were famous. He says, you know, how did you reconcile that with church attendance and all these things? And my brother-in-law said, Tim Brown looked at me like I was an alien. You're, you're crazy. What do, you, what do you mean, how did I reconcile this with going to church? 
Kyle's like, well, did the church give you a hard time about not being there on a Sunday? Or did, did, did they give you a hard time about being a professional athlete and it was a secular thing and all the things that are, you know, the stigma that comes with athletes? And he says, no. He said, Jesus Christ is the center of my life. That was his answer. Jesus Christ is the center of my life. He is everything to me. He goes, we had Bible studies in our home every night with our family. If we couldn't be at church, we didn't think bad about it. We were prof- he was a professional athlete. How stupid would it be for the church to tell Tim Brown, the Tim Browns of the world, you can't be a professional athlete because you'll miss church. How foolish. How foolish for us to be. Say, Bono, we know that you're the, great, the greatest rock star of our time, but you can't be in a rock band and be a Christian, Bono. Are you kidding me? How foolish would we be to say, your, your gift is for inside the church. Your talent is for inside the building. It's foolish because culture is where it's at. Your workplace is where you need to carry the presence of God. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to try. It's who you are. You are carriers of the presence of God. It is part of your identity. You are a tree and you're known by your fruit. Amen? So it's time for us as a church to look past our inheritance and become lazy because we think we finally made it. I inherited Jesus' blessing because Jesus went to the cross. I I am good. No, we were given an inheritance to change the culture. The leaves... Thank you. Let me ask you these three questions. What is in your tool belt? What do you have? What tools do you possess? What's the next one? Where is your excellence? I can, I can say this about Stephen. When I first met Stephen, we, we met him through, uh, through Vanessa. And I, I didn't know anything about your family. But when I, the first time I met him, I knew he was a man of excellence, just instantly, just the way he talked, the way he, and then as I got to know him, man, there's fruit of excellence all over his family, all over his home, all over his studio, the way he plays the bass, everything about you is excellent. I know how you run your business. I knew immediately, I was like, man, that's an excellent man. That's a pine tree. I know that. I can see. <laughs> Actually, you're, you're a redwood. You're a giant redwood. Seriously. Redwoods are like hundreds of years old. They're taller than than the Statue of Liberty. I'm speaking of the length of what you've started. And and so as I know you, the fruit didn't deny who you were. It proved who you were. It's who you are. What's in your tool belt? What are you excellent in? People know what you're excellent in usually before you do. A lot of people will, be, will know what you're really good at before you do. Some of us think we're really good at something and we're, it's something completely different. We need to find out what we're excellent in. And then we need to become even more excellent in it. And the, and the next question we need to ask is what do I carry that others can partake of? I, I use this a lot because I do coach soccer. I think I have as much fun coaching soccer as anything. It's fun coaching, especially coaching kids. 
coaching kids that their dads aren't at the game. I get to be a dad for them. What do I carry? Fatherhood. So what do I do for these kids? I don't want to take the place of their dad because I always speak highly of their dad to them. I don't say, man, your dad should be at your game. I don't do that. I promote their dad in their eyes. One of, the, one of the kids on the team, he's been getting in trouble, brought smoke bombs to school and all this kind of stuff last week. I was like, Juan, come here, man. He just looked at me like, uh-uh, no, put your head up, come here. I said, and I, I said, look me in the eye. He looked me straight in the eye. I said, Juan, you know you're a good kid. And he just put his head down. I said, Juan, look at me. And Juan's dad's right there with me. I said, Juan, you're a good kid. I said, will you tell me back you're a good kid? say I'm a good kid he said I'm a good kid he said I got in trouble he told me he got in trouble and he said I didn't do anything this time I said I said do you think that you've created a reputation where people just think you're doing bad he said yeah I said do you know you can you can fix that really quickly you can just stop doing those things and you can do some good things and all of a sudden they'll believe you I said the same the same amount of energy it took to create the bad reputation, you can flip it and turn it to good. And he looked at me. And his dad's like, thank you. His dad knows I'm a pastor. I, I usually keep it quiet. I don't want him to know. I, I want to just be nice to him and no agenda attached. But his dad's like, man, I, I appreciate that. I've been really concerned. Like, you're a good dad, Juan. His dad's Juan as well. I said, you're a good dad. <laughs> you're a good man. He's overcome addiction. I said, you overcame addiction. I said, you are, you are clean right now. And you're raising your son. And you're working hard. And I begin to tell him that. What am I doing? That's more important than what I'm doing right now. That moment is way more important than any sermon, than anything I could do inside of a church. Because I'm what, what do I have that he can partake of? This is what I have. I may not have a lot of other things, but I do have this. I'm going to try to figure out a way to give it to people. What do you have? What do you carry that you can give away to people? Hmm. Let me close. So our inheritance is our metron, our metron. Now, it's a word you don't ever hear. We don't talk about it a lot. But it literally means your area of expertise or the area of your responsibility. Right? It's the sphere in which you have influence. It's that area where you can say something and it affects things. You may say other things and it doesn't do anything. But when you're in this thing, it always shifts the atmosphere or it always creates change. So you transform the world around us and you when you step into your inheritance. A couple of weeks ago, we were um, in pre-service prayer and, and the conversation came up where there was an opportunity to minister to someone and we just missed the opportunity. I mean, we missed the opportunity, right? Because sometimes we think it's supposed to look a certain way, right? And, and the, the person in the meeting says, man, I felt, you know, felt kind of guilty about it, like I'd missed the moment or, or whatever. And the Lord instantly gave us revelation. And I said, you know what that was? That feeling of, man, I, I should have done something, I could have done something, was you feeling the weight of your inheritance, you, all, you realized, oh, wait a second, I carry something. I have a boundary line, that, and that was within my boundary lines, and I didn't do it. So you're not feeling guilt and shame because God wants you to feel guilty and ashamed. You're feeling the responsibility of what you really could have affected. Does that make sense? 
And I really, I want to think about this, this from now on. When I feel that, the Lord is not, he's not making me feel stupid. He's saying, Jared, you have inheritance for this. You have authority for this. And the only reason you feel responsible or you missed it is because you do carry responsibility in that area. Why does the Lord want us to know that? So next time I go into it, not so I don't miss the opportunity, not so I don't feel guilty and I don't want to feel guilt and shame, but because I go into this with confidence knowing I know I have authority in this. This is within the boundary lines of what God has trusted me with. I don't need to be afraid for this opportunity. The Lord wants you to begin to feel your area of authority. And I want to prophesy right now that, that, that the Lord is going to begin to turn this on in a greater measure. If it's not on, He's going to turn it on. And if it is, He's going to turn it up. And you're going to begin to feel the weight of the kingdom. Why don't you close your eyes? Father, I ask right now, I prophesy right now that we will begin to feel what we actually carry authority in. When they go to work, they're, they're going to begin to feel the boundaries of what you've laid out for their inheritance. <laughs> and we're going to begin to feel like partners. We're not servants, we're partners. We serve God, but we're partners with God. A partner, when Jesus in John 15, he says, you know, a servant doesn't know his master's business. He goes, but I call you sons and daughters. And now everything that I know, I tell you. I'm letting you in on the secret so that you can feel what we're responsible for. Father, I ask right now that you would awaken inside of us a desire to access the inheritance you've given us. Not as a golden parachute, not as a, a relief fund, God, but as a generational, um, a prophetic act into the next generation. A man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a spy, he was a pastor, he was a martyr, he was a prophet in, in the time of the Holocaust. And he has a quote, this is probably my, one of my favorite quotes, it says, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. And those who remain silent in the face of evil are themselves evil. Now, in my old church mentality, that felt like pressure, it felt like guilt, it felt like shame. But in the new mindset of, the, of what Jesus paid for, it sounds a little bit more like inheritance to me. Not to act is to act. Well, I can act because I have authority. Not to speak is to speak. I can speak because I carry life on my voice. I can't remain silent in the face of evil because I carry light inside of me. I can't. Would you stand? We're going to pray into this and <clears throat> close service out. Oh, Jesus. We want to activate you right now, and here's how we're going to do it. I'd like for you to pray for your neighbor and pray a prayer that God would activate their inheritance. And he would activate the gifts and the, and the fruit that's for food and the leaves that's for healing for the culture, for the nations. So everyone, please find someone. If you see someone alone, go, go, with, go find them. 
we unlock, we're activating. It's, activation is vital. God, we don't want to just hear. We don't want to be hearers only. We want to be doers. We want to be activated right now. Holy Spirit, you're the great activator. And we send you, Holy Spirit, into every family here, into every person, every individual. And we ask that you would activate them. Yes, God. Oh, I see wealth in this room. Wealth of wisdom. Wealth of compassion. Wealth of mercy. Wealth of hospitality in this room. Wealth of solutions for business problems. Wealth of family values. Wealth of discernment in this room. Wealth of prophetic declarations in this room. I see a wealth of healing in this room. I see a wealth of deliverance in this room. I see agents of change in this room. I see the godly woman who saves her entire household in this room. I see the godly man in this room that establishes a foundation for generations in this room, God. God, we ask that you would make us wise. I pray that everyone here would see that they're a redwood, that they're a sequoia tree, tall, powerful, stable. Father, I pray that you would establish the fruit of our labor. I ask that you would establish the fruit of our leaves, God. That they would be food and that they would be healing. I declare that we will be rooted and established. <laughs> that we will be rooted in the river that flows from the altar of God. And everywhere the river goes, there's life. Everywhere we go, there's life, God. You are now activated. Everyone, you are activated. So how many have had a new debit card come in and they say, you've got to call this number to activate your debit card, right? Well, we just prayed and we just called the 1-800 number and activated your debit card. So now to really make it official, you need to go do something. 
You need to do something this week. You need to take out something from the inheritance that you have. Amen? If we only hear, we can deceive ourselves. But if we will do it, we will be rooted and established. Amen? If you want prayer for anything else, we have a team. We, we say this and we really want you to know. I know sometimes we go long and you're ready to go and hungry, especially today. We have the potluck. The food's already getting ready next door and I know you can feel it and taste it, right? I'm ready. I think you brought some jalapeno poppers. Sounds good to me. But we want to take this time at the end of service and pray. The Bible said for us to bear one another's burdens. So if you need a healing in your body or a family member needs healing, I know we have a few people we've been praying for this week that need healing. We just ask for breakthrough to take place. But if you want want prayer, come to the healing banner. If you want salvation, that could be anything. It could be for a family member. It could be you personally. Want to make that connection with God? Sure. Someone will meet you here. And if it's anything else, there's all the space in the middle. We want to pray for breakthrough and miracles. And so we thank you for being here. Um, Stay for the potluck dinner, all right? We'd love to fellowship.